Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm joined by Todd Nettleton, who you will know is with Voice of the Martyrs, a ministry that is having a tremendous impact around the world for the sake of the gospel and keeping us informed on how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in chains. Uh, We have been facing a crazy and interesting year But it pales in comparison to what uh, many Christians have been dealing with on a daily basis around the world for a long time. If we think social isolation is bad, imagine a lot of these people who have been imprisoned for years simply for uh, standing up for their faith in Christ. Uh, Todd, it is always a privilege to have you with us to, to help us understand the real severity of what we ought to be focused on, the kingdom of heaven, and uh, take our eyes off the distractions of the kingdom of this world. So thanks for being a part of the many voices for that one message. Well, you are very welcome. It's always fun when we get a chance to talk. Why don't you get it started by telling us a little bit about uh, what Voice of the Martyrs is? I know we, we do this every time, and we talk quite often, but we always have new listeners, and I want, to, I want them to understand what your ministry does and why it's so important, especially when we are so focused on what's happening here in the United States, and particularly in New England. Uh, we need to be aware of what's happening around the world. We do, and Voice of the Martyrs exists Uh, to serve Christians who face persecution in 70-plus nations around the world, also to be a voice for them here in the United States, to to tell American Christians, hey, here's what's going on with your family. Here's how you can encourage them. Here's how you can pray for them. Uh, So really, I see Voice of the Martyrs as a bridge between the church in America and the church in hostile and restricted nations. And, uh, you know, the traffic on a bridge goes both ways. So, So we carry... Uh, help and aid and encouragement from the American church into those nations. And we bring out of those nations the stories of what is happening, not just stories, though, of suffering and stories of, you know, people in prison, people being beaten, churches being burned down, but stories of look how God is at work in the midst of that. Look at the faithfulness of God. Look at the faithfulness of his people. And we've been doing that for more than 50 years. So the, the founders of the Voice of the Martyrs, Pastor Richard and Sabina Wormbrand, both of them imprisoned for their faith in communist Romania, Pastor Wormbrand for 14 years in prison. Uh, so our ministry was founded with the idea of of really knowing what is happening, knowing what it means to suffer for Christ, and helping American Christians know how we can pray and how we can be involved to help in those situations. Yeah, this is a really important point because you're you're helping us know how to pray and what to pray for. You have a great study guide on prayer on your website, but I think it's really important for our listeners, especially as we're seeing everything that's happening around us. We're feeling that isolation. This should actually prompt us to see our own issues and see how we can ask, actually pray for others around the world who are suffering in a much more um, uh, difficult circumstance. One of the key things for us as American Christians to understand is this this is the number one request of our persecuted brothers and sisters. When when people from VOM travel overseas and we sit down with persecuted Christians and we say, okay, man, thank you for telling me your story. Uh, we're going back to America. We're going to talk to the church. We, we publish a, a free magazine every month. We have a, a weekly radio program. We're telling the stories of persecuted Christians. What do you want American Christians to do for you? The first thing they say every time we ask that question is, well, we want them to pray for us. And so when we do like the new global prayer guide, when we have our app called Pray Today to equip American Christians to pray, 
that is because it's the number one request. It's not like a secondary thing. It is the most important thing that they want from us. And the challenging thing to me, and, and I think really maybe humbling for me is their request is not, hey, pray that we won't suffer anymore. Pray that the government will stop persecuting us. Their request is pray that we will be faithful in spite of the persecution. Pray that we'll be faithful in this hard situation. And like I say, that's a very humbling thing to hear, but also I think a great reminder for us. You know, we face difficult situations. We face hardships. Maybe it's not persecution. Maybe it's sickness. Like you say, maybe it's isolation. Lord, help me to be faithful in this situation. More important than, Lord, get me out of this situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the key points is that we actually have a lot to learn from them. We could probably benefit more from them than they can benefit from us. I mean, if all we're doing is praying and supporting them and and sending them our love and and even some support to, to help them in their circumstances, the reality is they could teach us far more about the importance of prayer, the kingdom of God, and missions in the world in which is, is, is constantly growing darker and darker. I have learned so much in the last 20 years from from hearing the stories of persecuted Christians. And I I think differently every morning when we have Bible reading at our house, I think differently about the Bible because I've talked to people who said, you know, I prayed for 10 years that I would be able to have my own copy of the Bible. So when I open my Bible, I don't think of it as, wow, you know, oh yeah, it's a book that I have on my shelf. I think of it through the eyes of that brother or sister who said, man, I prayed for 10 years that I could have a Bible. You know, when we meet together with other believers, I think about that differently because I've met Christians who say, oh, yeah, I got arrested because I was meeting together with other believers. I went to jail for that. And so, like you say, we have so much to learn uh, from our persecuted brothers and sisters, so much encouragement that we can draw from them. And uh, again, that that's part of why Voice of the Martyrs exists. That's why we do a magazine. That's why I do these interviews, is to help American Christians sort of grab a hold of those lessons. Hmm. Now, when we're looking at what's happening around the world, we've been looking at it through a particular lens, because the the biggest news story, obviously, has been this pandemic. And, And it's affected us so much here in the United States it's easy to take our eyes off of global news, but uh, this is something, even the pandemic itself has been affecting people greatly. And if it's affecting uh, main economies, larger economies and other nations, and those churches are already being persecuted, uh, then it's probably affecting the churches drastically, even at a greater scale. Can you tell us what what's happening in the Middle East? I mean, this is one of the highest, most intense places of persecution. What's going on with the church there? Well, there's a couple of really good stories from the Middle East, as particularly as it relates to COVID. Uh, one of our contacts in the Middle East uh, was involved in discipleship training for new believers. So they took uh, Muslim converts to Christianity and they discipled them and, you know, study the scripture. Here's how we do that. Here's how we pray. I want to train you. Well, those things happened in person. Like they would get in the same room together and do that. Well, then COVID came along. And their country went into a complete lockdown. So nobody can meet in person. Nobody's supposed to go out. Uh, and they're like, well, our ministry is going to stop because we can't meet with other people now. But what they found instead was that their ministry online grew exponentially, not just discipling new believers, but having inquiries from Muslims who were curious. And 
you know, as I talked to some of our contacts in the Middle East, the, the thing they pointed to is a Muslim who is isolated and their family's not around, they're on the computer, they have more freedom to ask some of those questions. They have more freedom to Google who is Jesus, what did Jesus do, and then to connect with our ministry partners and, and ask those questions to a real person. If their families all together, they would never do that because one of their family members might look over their shoulder and say, hey, whoa, we're a Muslim family. Why are you asking questions about Jesus? What, what's going on here? But with COVID, with isolation, suddenly they had more freedom. They, they could do that. And so this ministry said our ministry grew because of COVID. There's another story. We had at Voice of the Martyrs uh, some Bibles that were ready to go into a Middle Eastern nation. They were actually in the nation right next door, and we got them that far, but we couldn't get them across the border. Uh, and it had actually been a number of months, and we had run into some brick walls, and it was kind of like, how are we going to get these Bibles into the place that, that they're for? Because of COVID, again, because of COVID, uh, this border suddenly became a lot more passable, and we were able to deliver literally thousands of Bibles into this closed Muslim Middle Eastern nation because of COVID. Uh, the border situation changed so dramatically because of COVID that suddenly these Bibles that have been sitting there were allowed to go into the country. Uh, I have one more story from, from our Bible smuggling work in the Middle East, and, and it's a great one. You know, in when you deal with smugglers, not they're not all Christians. <laughs> so, so there are times where, you know, we will pay to have Bibles smuggled into a country. Sometimes it's Christians who are doing that as a ministry. Sometimes it's just people who deliver stuff across borders. And, you know, they might deliver Bibles in one load and they might deliver drugs in another load. And one of our smugglers that we hired actually opened the boxes and pulled out one of the Bibles because he wanted to know, hey, what what is it that these people are paying me? You know, they have books in that country. Why would they pay me to carry in more books? That's dumb. So he pulled out one of these Bibles and began to read it. And over time, he began to ask questions to our contacts who he was dealing with. And eventually he came to faith uh, because he pulled out that Bible and started reading it. And so he's now a smuggler, but he is a Christian smuggler. Uh, because he pulled out the Bible and started reading it. So just a, a great testimony to the power of God's word uh, in the life of somebody who had no idea what he was carrying uh, until he pulled it out and started reading it. I think those, all those stories are so interesting because we look at uh, this pandemic as just kind of world ending, but the kingdom of God continues to move and to change and to, it can't be stopped by a pandemic and it certainly can't be stopped by governing authorities. So what we are seeing is uh, to, we're taking our eyes off of a lot of the things that have been as a distraction for a long time. And we're seeing that. That's why I think it's so important for Voice of the Martyrs and the ministry that you're doing because it really opens our eyes to the the, the power of the gospel and the that that the, there are really no restrictions on what it can do once it gets into a country. I mean, the Middle East is a perfect example. Many people come to saving knowledge of the faith and probably the highest restrictions against Christianity. Yeah, you know, my wife and I just at the breakfast table this morning, we just read the story, the end of the story of Joseph, where he says, you know, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
And like you say, there is not a situation that is going to stop the advancement of Christ's kingdom. Uh, and so we, instead of, and like you say, this, I've felt this way too, like when is the world going to get back to normal? What is going on? Instead of saying that, maybe we could look, oh, God, what door are you opening because of this situation? What new thing are you trying to do because everything that was old is is passed away and it's shut down right now? Uh, it is such a great encouragement to see God working, and we have seen this over and over. Now, you know, there are some negative stories. There, there are some stories of places, that I think, of several countries in South Asia where the government, as they have handed out aid, they have looked at everybody's ID card and said, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, mm. you go to the back of the line. Oh, you'd like your aid now? Well, how about if you become a Hindu? How about if you become a Muslim? Then we'll give you aid right away. So they have used, you know, even in the midst of COVID, they have used aid as a form of persecution. Uh, but there are also those great stories of how God has just opened brand new doors because of the COVID pandemic. I think it's just a great testimony about uh, the reality that when when people get knocked down, when Christians get knocked down and they can get back up and they can accomplish so much more, it's usually God is is really pointing them in a different direction, and uh, that has much more fruit. We need to learn from that, because when we get knocked down, we don't get bounce back very easily. We don't bounce back very quickly. And it's hard for us to pivot, because we've been doing church for a certain way for so long. It's been a big transition for us, but a lesson that we're starting to need to, to realize that the gospel moves despite uh, what what our forms and our, our uh, you know traditions are. The gospel continues to work. Certainly, a testimony that uh, the our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world can be teaching us. Yeah, I I think, and one of the things I when we had conferences before COVID, one of the things I used to share is about looking for opportunity in the midst of hardship. You know, our. Mm. our our natural prayer, and and I include myself very much in this, is, Lord, get me out of this hardship. Get me out of this tough situation. Heal me from this sickness. Make me well. Uh, instead of doing that, if we can kind of change our, our sight lines and say, Lord, what are you trying to do here? Well, what ministry opportunity do you have for me in the midst of this sickness, in the midst of this hardship? Uh, and you know, we hear from brothers and sisters overseas who that's their experience. Hey, I got arrested. I went to prison. Look at the ministry that God had for me inside that prison. Look at how many people heard the gospel because I was in that prison. The natural response again is, Lord, get me out of here. Uh, but if we can train ourselves to have that attitude of, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? Well, what ministry do you have for me here? It really changes our outlook, and it, it changes the way we think. And it opens doors to amazing ministry. Hmm. Now, there are, I mean, we've been talking about some great stories. You, you mentioned some of the areas where COVID has been used to actually persecute Christians, but uh, we're still seeing a lot of what we've seen in years past where, where governments have really been restrictive. And I know one of those areas is in China, and or pastors, where churches, they meet underground and uh, they face persecution all the time. Can you tell us what's happening there? Just recently, a, a pastor named Lee Jun Kai was sentenced to five and a half years in mm. prison. Uh, so uh, we have talked before about Pastor Wang Yi of Early Rain Covenant Church. He is serving a nine-year prison sentence. Uh, when he got that sentence, it was the longest for a Chinese pastor in, in a number of years. Now another pastor, Lee Jun Kai, sentenced to five and a half years in prison. Here's the interesting thing about Lee Jun Kai. 
his church was a registered church with the Chinese government. So it was part of what they call the three self patriotic movement, which is the officially registered Protestant church organization in China. In 2013, the church actually walked away from that. They relinquished their registration. They said, we're not going to be a part of this anymore. We're just going to be a house church. We're going to be an unregistered church. That seems to be what sort of started down the path to persecution because the government says, wait a minute, you're, you're not allowing us to control what you're doing. You're, you're not coming under our authority. That's going to be a problem. So they began that pathway to persecution. The other interesting thing about this, and I think it, it shows what's happening in China right now, that the church had banners in their sanctuary that said, love God, love people. Probably some of our listeners have this very same message in their church somewhere. Love God, love people. The Chinese communist government came in and they saw those banners and they said, you need to take those banners down and put up banners that say, love your country. Mm. We don't want love God, love people. We want, hey, love your country, love China, love the Communist Party. That was part of the problem for this pastor. And again, now he's serving five and a half years in prison. So you think about the level of control that says, hey, we don't like the banners in your sanctuary. We want you to put up pro-communist banners. That's what's going on in China. That's the level of control. And it is, it's everywhere in China. You know, five years ago, 10 years ago, we used to talk about, okay, in this province, wow, things are really tough for Christians. But over here in this province, there's hardly any interference with the church. What we talk about now is everywhere in China, every single province, the Communist Party is trying to exert that level of control. And it's resulting in pastors like Li Junkai, uh, like Pastor Wang Yi, going to prison for long periods of time. So it, it is very difficult to be a, a Christian in China right now. The other part of this story is over the last probably three years, more than 2,000 gospel workers from outside of China have had to leave the country. Some of them have been kicked out. Some of them have left because they knew their visa was about, they were about to be kicked out. So they thought if, if I leave without that formal process, maybe I'll be able to come back sooner. Uh, but more than 2000 gospel workers kicked out of the country or forced to leave in just a, a few years. So that again shows China is different today when it comes to persecution, when it comes to religious freedom. It is very different today than what it was even even three or four years ago. It's, it's one thing to look at persecution as something that's kind of mob rule, where you have a bunch of angry people that are against Christianity and will do something like we, you'll see that in in uh, kind of uh, coups in, in, in Africa and, and, and the like. But to see the government really put these restrictions on the church and uh, to make it really uh, 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 put that pressure on Christians to, to focus more on the state than, than the gospel— we're starting to see a little bit of that pressure here in the United States, and I think that it's starting to realize people are starting to realize that the, if the government can tell us when we can meet, how much of us, how often we can meet, and how many people can meet in a room, uh, it's very different. And we're not saying that that is persecution per se, but we're starting to see that the government does have a lot of control. And if you look at a place like China, uh, that's a, a line that is easily crossed, and um, from a government that is really persecuting the faith of Christians. 
It is. You know, last year we heard stories from China that, that the national government in Beijing was actually sending out trainers, what I would call persecution trainers, to go to local police departments around the country and say, this is how you control religion. Again, I would translate it, this is how you persecute Christians. Uh, and, and so, like you say, this is the national government stepping in and saying, we want to control the church. We want to control religious expression. And uh, you mentioned, you know, American Christians, and we have started to see some of this pressure come to bear on American Christians. If you live boldly for your faith, uh, maybe your employer will tell you, hey, we don't want you to have a Bible on your desk at work. We don't want you to talk about Jesus on your lunch hour. That causes division here, and we don't want any of that. So like you say, American Christians are starting to maybe see some of that pressure, maybe see it on the horizon, maybe experience it. And how can we prepare for that? Number one, the scriptures. Number one, understanding, you know, uh, when Paul writes to Timothy that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will endure persecution. What does that mean for us? That, that's, that's never been our story here as American Christians. How are we going to deal with that? So number one, study the scriptures and understand what they say about persecution. Number two, though, I think is the stories of our brothers and sisters who are going through persecution or who have gone through persecution. Because as we see their example and as we see how God worked in their situation, it encourages us and it empowers us if, if our time comes. Uh, I just had a conversation. In fact, we'll be airing it soon on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with a pastor in Cuba who is regularly hauled into the police station for questioning. And he said every single time he's afraid. You know, he feels intimidated when they say, come down, we're going to talk to you. He feels that intimidation. And he feels that sense of fear. But he says as he gets there and as he begins to answer their questions and God gives him the answers, he feels God in the room guiding him and how to answer every single question. And he, he used the phrase, he said, as that happens, my fear shrinks. <laughs> I am less afraid because I can sense, hey, God's got this. It's okay. As we learn from their stories, as we hear stories like that, when we get in that situation, I think the same thing for, will happen for us. We will remember those stories. We will experience God giving us the answers, and our fear will shrink also. Hmm. It's it's one thing to see, like in China, where the the government is really pressing down on Christians because they want uh, they want the state religion really to be the most highest uh, esteemed uh, uh, unifier of the nation, and and that loyalty and the national loyalty is more important to them than than faith loyalty. Uh, but we also see what's happening in, in India, where they're tolerating Christianity, but they have put these hurdles and restrictions to suggest that you can be a Christian, you just can't witness, you just can't change anybody. I think we're seeing that in the United States as well, where it's okay to be a Christian, but just don't try to tell anyone else about you know your faith. Uh, this is a real-world example. What's happening in India is a perfect example of where that kind of logic takes us, doesn't it? It does. You know, it, two states in India just in the last couple of months have passed what they call anti-conversion laws. And, you know, 
as you hear how they explain the laws, it sounds very good, actually. You know, we don't want anyone to be forced to change their religion. Well, all of us would say, yeah, we don't want people to be forced to change their religion. We don't want anyone to be bribed to change their religion. Yeah, we would say, yeah, that's a good idea, too. We don't want people to be bribed. But then when it comes down to enforcement and, and you actually look at what the law says and, and how is this going to work, what the law says is, if you want to change your religion, you need to go to the police 60 days in advance of when you're going to change your religion. And you need to tell them, hey, you know, in in March or April, I'm going to be changing my religion. I want to get, let you guys know. And then they have 60 days to investigate you, which really means they're going to pressure you. Wait a minute. They're going to tell your family who may not know that you've been reading the Bible. Hey, your your son says he's not going to be a Hindu anymore. He's going to be a Christian now. Well, your family's going to come at you and say, "Wait a minute, we're a Hindu family. What are you doing?" So just the the uh, the way these laws are written make very clear what they really want to do is protect Hinduism. Mm-hmm. They the the current leadership in India, the Prime Minister Modi and his government they consider India to be a Hindu nation. Uh, some of them literally talk about the soil of India is Hindu soil. And if you're on that soil, you need to be a Hindu. And if you're not, you should become a Hindu or you should really find a new place to live somewhere else. And so Christians are under this kind of pressure and they're, they're facing these anti-conversion laws. The other thing that happens under these laws is if you're encouraging someone to convert. Now they would say you're, you're bribing them or you're forcing them to convert, but really it could just be, you know, you're, you're sharing the gospel with them. You've pulled out a new Testament and you you've given it to them and you're reading it with them. Those people can go to prison because they are, you know, encouraging people to break this law. They're encouraging people to convert. So we've already seen that there was a new law passed in Uttar Pradesh state in India in November. We've already seen multiple arrests of Christians under that law. Another law went into effect in Madhya Pradesh, the state next door to that, in January. And in that case, the the governor actually put the law in place. The, The legislature is not meeting because of COVID. So the governor just said, hey, this is the law. The understanding I have is that within six months now, the legislature actually has to approve it if it's going to be permanent. But for the, at least six months, that law is in place in that state as well. And so, you know, Christians look at this and say, why doesn't our government protect us? We're citizens here, too. We we have a place here, too. Uh, but that's the pressure that they face, especially, as you say, those who are sharing the gospel, those who are advancing the kingdom they're under this constant kind of pressure. And you can see just how easily that kind of sneaks in to where there's a sense of trying to protect uh, tradition, protect sovereignty. And what we're trying to do, I mean, the threat of Christianity, I mean, from the Christian point of view is we just want to tell people how they can have eternal life. We want to love people. We want to wash people's feet. But even doing ministry and trying to help, uh, trying to you know serve the community, those things are being shut down. It seems so. It's so baffling to understand why a government would be so oppressive of Christianity. We're not starting wars. We're not trying to lead rebellions. We're not starting coups. So why is it that Christianity is singled out in all of this? Well, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because one of the arrests in Uttar Pradesh was a a Korean Christian woman who was out distributing aid to people affected by COVID. 
and she was actually working alongside Hindus. And they were all arrested together saying, hey, you, you're using this aid to bribe these people to become Christians. And she's like, well, wait a minute. I'm here with Hindus. We're doing this together. This is not a, a religious thing. And we're not telling anyone, hey, we'll give you aid as long as you become a Christian. We're just distributing aid to people who need it. And the the pastor who actually organized this said, we have phone numbers of every single person we've delivered aid to. You can call them and see if we forced anybody to become a Christian by delivering aid. So the whole thing is is a made-up sort of crisis that they now have arrested this lady and charged her under this anti-conversion law. But like you say, the, the pressure is there, the control is there. And, you know, as I mentioned, the Hindu nationalists in India, they want every single person to be a Hindu. They would say part of the reason for these laws is what they call love jihad, where Muslim men will date Hindu women in order to marry them and convert them to Islam. They would say, oh, that we can't have that. That's why we put these laws in place. But it doesn't just affect Muslims. It affects Christians. And as you say, Christians are giving people an opportunity to know Christ. We understand that some people will walk away from that opportunity. We're not we don't hate them. We don't beat them up or or something like that we simply give them an opportunity we want them to know that jesus loves them and that he died for them what they do with that information is completely up to them it's not a matter of bribing them it's not a matter of forcing them uh, but that is how it's portrayed in india and and it's a crime under these laws in many ways, you know, the Christian uh, cause could be advanced by a much more aggressive approach, a much more persuasive argument, a, a much more, I mean, if we were, you know, really protective, a lot of these families are very protective of their faith, but if we were, you know, just as strong and, and you know, excommunicating family members who deconvert or, or choose a different religion, uh, but the, the scriptures teach us very plainly uh, especially in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the persecuted because the kingdom of God is not won by force. It's really won by this very subtle light. And there's a lot we can learn about our brothers and sisters in Christ on how to prioritize uh, the witness and the, the testimony of our faith, especially when we can't use these high-powered persuasion tactics. Well, I, you know, I think of two stories from the Bible. One, one is Jesus in the garden telling Peter, hey, put away your sword. Mm. We're not, we're not going to do it that way. And then the other is, you know, where Jesus, I think it refers to the fact that he could have called down multiple heavenly armies and avoided the suffering and avoided crucifixion. He didn't do that. He accepted the price. He accepted the suffering. And that's that's how we have fellowship with God. That's how we can be adopted into the family. Um, so once Christians understand that, I think it gives perspective for our suffering and it helps us. And, you know, the, the call of Jesus is love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. We can't do that from an attitude of, of vengeance or an attitude of, you know, we want to fight them. It is, Lord, show them your truth. Open their eyes. Let them see how much you love them. That prayer changes our heart. And, and it, like I say, it can't come out of a heart of vengeance. It has to come as God empowers us to be forgiving and to be loving, even to the people who hate us, even to the people who attack us. I think one of the things that we as Americans 
uh, fail to comprehend in a kind of global mission for evangelism is is just the fear of potential persecution. You know, we're constantly being afraid and trying to avoid any issue that might cause us uh, to suffer our, for our Christian faith. Uh, uh, people in, in persecuted countries, as you mentioned, these 70 countries around the world who don't have that luxury. They they can't live in fear. They actually have to step out in faith. Every day is a step of faith for them to, to live out their Christian faith. One of the things we talk about, and the Bible talks about it as well, is counting the costs. Hmm. And one of the, I don't know if I want to call it a blessing, one of the things about coming to faith in a hostile and restricted nation. You know, if if you're in a Muslim family and say your dad is a very devout Muslim and you start reading the Bible, and, and you, you know Jesus is the truth, and you make that decision to follow Jesus, you know from day one that is not going to be a popular decision. That is going to be a very costly decision for you. Hmm. The, the chances are you will not have a family anymore. You will be kicked out. And in many of those countries, your family is, is your support structure. It's how you find a job. It's how you find a spouse. It's how you make connections in the culture. So it's not just a matter of, hey, my dad's not going to like me anymore. It's like I have zero opportunities. I'm, I'm going to have nothing but trouble because of this decision. But Jesus is real, and I'm going to follow him. So when you begin your faith walk with that understanding that, hey, this is going to be really difficult, and I'm going to pay a high price for this, you've counted the cost. And when hardship comes, it's not like, wow, Lord, you really let me down here. There's hardship. It is, well, I knew this was going to happen, but I knew God was faithful. I knew God would carry me through this. God would be with me in the midst of this. So it's a different mindset. And sadly, many Americans have have heard the presentation of the gospel that goes like, hey, come to Jesus, and your life is going to get better. Hmm. Everything in your life is going to be improved if you will just come and walk with Jesus Christ. And so when hardship comes, we kind of— you know, if, if that's your sort of your foundation, when hardship comes, you say, well, what happened? I, I thought everything was going to be good now. I thought everything was going to get better, but it's not better. You know, I, I lost my job. I've had family members that are angry with me now. What what happened? Did did God forget about me? Did, did Was I lied to? You know, what happened? So then we're really laid low by hardship and suffering when it comes our way because we weren't ready for it. We hadn't counted the cost ahead of time and thought about, wow, this is going to be costly. This is going to be painful. So yet again, that's a lesson that we can learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters because they begin the the, the day. Like you say, they begin the day knowing, Lord, you're going to have to help me today or I'm not going to get through. You're going to have to help me through this situation or I'm not going to make it. That's a different attitude, but it's one that God really honors, and, and God steps into those situations and, and really does amazing things, um, but there's that expectation that he will. Mm. It's, it's a very different perspective on the invitation of Jesus to be his disciples. When he told them to deny themselves, to take up their cross and follow him, he said, you're going to have to leave family, you're going to have to leave a wife, you're going to have to leave a father and mother, you're going to have to leave your children. Uh, we don't understand that because, you know, we're not seeing our relationship severed, but people around the world really understand that when it actually comes down to that. It actually costs them their family. They're excommunicated from their family. They understand what it truly means to be a disciple. Well, 
you know, I think often of that. When Jesus said, take up your cross, we read that and sort of think of a cross necklace yeah. that we're going to put on. You know, this is I'm going to put this on every day, take up my cross. The disciples understood that as a as a means of torture and execution. Like when Jesus said, take up your cross, they knew people die on crosses. People hang there for hours and suffer and birds come and attack them while they can't defend themselves. This is a horrible way to die. Take up your cross. So they understood, like, you know, they understood what Jesus was saying. They knew this was not going to be easy. Um, we kind of need to be reminded of that sometimes and, and to count that cost ahead of time and really think about what what does it mean in, in my situation? What does it mean to take up my cross? Well, I really appreciate what Voice of the Martyrs does because it keeps those things in perspective. And you have a lot of various ministries that you're using to kind of capture our attention, especially in these days where it seems that uh, we can't get together for events. I know you guys do a lot of events, but you have something coming up here in March uh, for our listeners that they can be uh, aware of what's going on in the world and encouraged by what's happening. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you have uh, on the schedule and the calendar for this year? Absolutely. Absolutely. I am really excited about this event on March the 5th. It is called Imprisoned for Christ. It is a virtual event, so you can watch online. Uh, we're also encouraging churches to become host sites. You can gather people together, watch it together. Uh, but we have three former prisoners for Christ, all in in one evening, Friday evening, March the 5th. Uh, Peter Yasek, my coworker, was imprisoned in Sudan for 14 months. Pastor Andrew Brunson was imprisoned for two years in Turkey. And Dan Bauman was imprisoned inside Iran. All three of them are going to share their stories, share their stories of, of how they ended up in prison and, and what God did in the midst of that. Uh, and then I'm actually going to lead a, a panel discussion with Pastor Andrew Brunson and Dan Bauman. And we'll just kind of talk about their experiences, hopefully kind of dig a little bit deeper. Um, so we are really excited about this event. I, I think it's going to be powerful. These three guys, they all had different experiences. Um, Dan Bauman actually tried to commit suicide while he was in prison. He was so down and so discouraged. And Jesus met him even in that hardship, in that sort of what we might call failure. Jesus met him and, and drew him back and drew him out of that. So these are not all sort of happy, clappy victory stories where they were just joyful and excited every single day in prison. These are stories of, of really the reality of what it means to suffer for Christ, but also the victory that is available through Jesus, even in a prison cell, even, you know, Peter was sentenced to life in prison, even under a life sentence, he saw God work and he saw God allow ministry in the midst of that. So uh, again, March the 5th, our website is persecution.com. The information is there. Registration is free. Uh, so Imprisoned for Christ virtual event. I hope everybody who's listening will be a part of that because it is going to be a really impactful evening. I think it's really important, too, for us to not just get all of our information from the news and the mainstream media. So I'm so grateful for what you have been doing with the Voice of the Martyrs and, and helping us understand how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have suffered greatly in chains around the world for the sake of the gospel. I think there's a lot for us to learn when we talk about uh, pastors who have been in prison, imprisoned for their faith. Uh, when we feel isolated, when we feel restricted from each other, uh, we can kind of get a sense and just how much more they were restricted and isolated. 
But we can also learn that in these seasons, when we have a, a lot more opportunities to pray, the lesson we should have learned from the last uh, 11 months is that we have a lot more time to pray. We have a lot more time to get, commit to God's Word. And I know that these pastors can teach us just how important it is to make, take advantage of the time that we have been given to draw closer to Christ. Amen. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. That, that is, it, it really is a reminder of, of how blessed we are uh, and also a reminder to pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing, you know, these three guys are out of prison now. Uh, but we, we talked about two pastors in China who are in prison right now. I think of Christians in Eritrea in prison, Christians in North Korea, in labor camps. There are so many that we can be in prayer for. And, and I think this evening, the, the Imprisoned for Christ evening, will be a great reminder and a great equipper to help us know how to pray. Mm. Well, with that being said, would you pray for us and encourage our listeners on, on how we can better pray for our brothers and sisters with this reminder that uh, they have much more to teach us than we have to teach them. So to learn from them, but also to, to keep them in our, our prayers as we seek uh, the, the great commission to see disciples made of all nations, in particular these nations where it's so hard, there's, the persecution is so strong that we would see the, the furtherance of the gospel, even in the darkest of places. Amen. Let's, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for our brothers and sisters around the world who wear your name proudly. And I pray, Lord, that we would be like them, that we would be bold in our faith, that we would be bold in our prayers, that we would be bold in our witness for you, uh, sharing about Jesus with the people we work with, the people we go to school with, our next door neighbors, uh, that we would be lighthouses for you as they are in their situations. Lord, we do think of those who are suffering right now, and I think of uh, Pastor Lee Junkai, who has just been sentenced to five and a half years in prison in China. I think of Pastor Wang Yi, who is serving nine years in prison in China. We think of our brothers and sisters, more than 500 of them imprisoned in Eritrea, thousands imprisoned in North Korea. Lord, we pray that, that you would sustain them today, sustain them physically, uh, give them enough to eat today. Touch their bodies as they face sickness and disease and hardship in the prison. Sustain them physically, but Lord, more importantly, sustain them spiritually. Give them hope. Give them a sense of your presence right there with them. And Lord, I pray that they would know that they're not forgotten, that they would know that they're being prayed for. Lord, I pray even in this moment as we pray together, will you let them know that somebody is praying for them, that they are a part of a wider family of God and that they are not forgotten by their brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we pray for each situation. We pray for your sustenance. We pray for your touch. We pray for hope to be on them. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are not in prison, but are serving you boldly in a place where they could face persecution. Give them strength and courage and encouragement today and allow them to have fruit for the work they're doing. Lord, again, we pray for ourselves that we would serve you boldly. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking with uh, 
uh, uh, Andy Nettleton about the, uh, t- sorry, Todd Nettleton about the Ministry of Voice of the Martyrs. If you'd like to find out more information and even subscribe to, they have an amazing uh, free publication that they send out every month. Uh, it, it, Todd, tell us a little bit about how they can get more information about your ministry. Sign up, register, and even sign up and register for this this great event for uh, Imprisoned for Christ persecution.com is the main voice of the martyrs website right at the top of the page there's a button that says free magazine you can click on that to sign up for the magazine there's also information about the imprisoned for christ event as well as our global prayer guide the brand new 2021 global prayer guide you can get a free copy of that all of that at our website persecution.com Todd, it's always a privilege to talk to you. You always give us a, a clear update and also a great challenge and admonition to pray and to be focused on what's happening around the world and to take our eyes off of ourselves for a minute and see what God is doing across the world in such a, a remarkable way for the kingdom of God. Thank you again for your time, for your your energy and your excitement and your information about how to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in chains around the world. And thanks for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Well, Adam, it's been my pleasure. I always enjoy our conversations, and I look forward to the next one.